In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Well, let's pray as we come to think about those words together. Heavenly Father, please would you help us to listen to what you are saying by your Spirit about Jesus this evening. Please would be, we be very aware that as we read these words, we are hearing you speak to us. And would we be ready to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in a week's time, for the first time in 71 years, we're going to have a King's Speech. Christmas Day 1951, King George VI gave his final Christmas message from Buckingham Palace. And since then, the duty's fallen to Queen Elizabeth II. So this year, obviously, it will be King Charles III's job. Lots of speculation about what he might say. But it's a great tradition, isn't it, for the ruler of the kingdom to send us a message at Christmas. And in a similar way, these opening verses of Hebrews show God doing something just like that, speaking to his people with a Christmas message, with a message about the coming of Jesus. The coming of Jesus is bringing that ultimate word from on high. And as we see tonight, I hope, It answers that question of how we can know God. How can people like us possibly know God, what he's like, who he is, how we can know him and be friends with him? So if we are Christians, and yet, if we're honest, the deeper meaning of Christmas is kind of bouncing off us a little bit like so many snowballs, it's not really sinking in. My prayer is that this is going to give us reasons to celebrate as we remember again. This is fantastic that Jesus has come. And perhaps even if we're here tonight and we're not sure, we're just not sure about Jesus or about how it could be possible to know God, that maybe this would persuade us that Jesus is the answer that we're looking for. So the first thing I want us to hear tonight is that Jesus is the final word. Jesus is the final word. He is the latest and greatest message from God, telling us everything we need to know. He is the final word. You often say that things are the final word on the subject. If it's the definitive answer, the ultimate argument, this is the only book you need to read on that topic. It's the last word on that. Well, Jesus is that about God. He is the final words. Despite what we often think, God is not shy. God does not keep himself to himself. We have a speaking God. And in our passage, it begins, doesn't it, by explaining some of the ways that God has spoken. So verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times And in various ways. That is an amazing thing. We ought not to just skip over that and say, yeah, let's get to the Jesus bit. No, that is an amazing thing in itself. That many times God has spoken. 
that he spoke to Israel through the prophets, whether that's Moses writing down the first five books of the Old Testament, David writing the Psalms, or, or more the people we'd more commonly call the prophets, people like Isaiah, Amos, and all that lot. God spoke through those people to his people. And we have that. We have that communication here in our Bibles, in our Old Testament. Various ways, various different times, different contexts, but now gathered in one place as God's very word written down. We all ought to skim over that. That is an amazing privilege that in the past, God spoke that way. But the writer of Hebrews, they want to say that something even greater than that has happened. That verse 2, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So he, he hasn't only spoken through others. He's actually sent his own son to speak to us. And that is even better. Partly it's better, I think, because the coming of Jesus was what the prophets were talking about. And it's finally here. But it's also better in the way that a visit in person is better than a letter, isn't it? Both those things are true messages. But showing up in the flesh, well, that's far superior, isn't it? And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. So this might not seem like a typical Christmas bit of the Bible, but it is. Because it's about the arrival of Jesus. That after many and various notes and emails and texts and messages and things like that, we have now met. Jesus is the final word, the ultimate way that God speaks to us. And when it says these last days, it doesn't just mean recently. You know, as if he, he used to speak like this, more recently he's spoken like that. Who knows what he's going to do next? No, the last days is the period we're in now, the last climactic era building up until the point when everything comes to an end. And he's saying now, in the final phase of the game, Jesus is how God has communicated to us. He is the final word from God. In him, we now know everything we need to know. Jesus can bring, Jesus can be that final word. Not only because, you know, he's very good friends with God and he's in the know somehow. No, he's the final word on God because he is God. And that's where this goes next, doesn't it? In verse 3, it talks about how the sun is the radiance of God's glory, which sounds very nice, doesn't it? We could sing a song about that. What does it actually mean? <laughs> well, God's glory is his weightiness, his substance, his amazing godness shining out for everybody to see. His glory is the outward display of his inward being. So kind of everything he is put out there to admire. And so when we say that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, it's like saying he's the glory of God's glory. He is the shining out of all that God is, in all his wonder, all his beauty, the magnificence, the majesty of God broadcast out to the world. That is who Jesus is. Not just like the moon 
You think the moon kind of shines, doesn't it? It sort of reflects the rays of the sun. No, this is saying, no, Jesus, it's more like he is the sun and the sunlight that you can see as he's radiating out everything that God is for us, that you can see and feel in all of its warmth and power and joy. So what light streaming in at the window is to the sun, Jesus is to God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And more than that, he is the exact representation of his being. So in a way, you see the sunlight coming through the window. You might actually not know, have a clue what the sun itself looks like. This is confusing using sun two different ways, S-U-N and S-O-N. You get what I'm talking about. When the sunlight comes in, that doesn't give you necessarily an idea of what the sun is itself as a star. No, but as well as being like that, he is everything that God is. If you see Jesus, you have seen God. That's what Jesus said to Philip, wasn't it? When Philip says, show us the Father, and he's saying, for goodness sake, how much time do we need to spend with each other before you've realized that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father? Some translations uh, go with this. Instead of exact representation of his being, it says the exact imprint of his nature. Like if you, if you get some clay and you've pressed something into it, into like a mold, and you get an identical imprint of it, it's like that, that idea that Jesus is exactly what God is, but represented, represented to us in a way that we can see, the way that we can know exactly, exactly what God is like. He isn't just a rough sketch of God. He's a bit godish. He's, he's not like a sort of police photo fit where you go, yeah, I can sort of see how that kind of looks like him. He's not a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy as it gets grainier and grainier. Not a game of Chinese whispers as the message gets more and more garbled as it goes along. No, he's exactly God. Exactly God. The exact representation. What God is as he is passed on to us in Jesus, that's exactly right. Made knowable, losing nothing in translation. So if you want to know what God is like... Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He is the ultimate. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint, the exact representation of his being. He is the final word. It's all for him. It's all about him. He owns everything. See in verse 2, second half of that, his son whom he appointed heir of all things. So it all belongs to him. And when the whole universe comes to an end, the entire universe is going to be handed over to Jesus. It is his. That child who comes to us at Christmas is the one that we, along with everyone and everything that we have ever seen or heard of, belongs to. We belong to him by rights. Everything from the furthest star to the smallest atom, it is His. And it's His, not just because He's inherited it, but because He made it. Verse 2 says Jesus was the one through whom also God made the universe. So we look at the universe, 
Jesus did that. Everything about it, everything you've ever seen or touched or smelled or heard of or tasted, he did that. And he spoke it into existence. He made it, not just with words, but through the word, Jesus, that he has spoken it into existence. As we come to Christmas, we we can easily sort of think, oh, that's the point at which the Son of God came into being. That there's God in heaven and now suddenly, meow, wow. I don't know why he meowed there. He's not a cat. But anyway, he goes, meow. Uh, There we go. We've now got the Son of God as well. But no, that's not it at all. That God the Son has eternally been God. He is the creator. And Christmas is the time when that creator entered his creation or to use the language a bit more of Hebrews 1 when the one who made everything came down to speak with us we must listen to Jesus we must just think of the power of his words if you shouted really really loud I don't recommend you do at least not yet What do you think is the most you could accomplish? Getting someone to tell you to shush? If you did it very suddenly, you make somebody jump? If you spoke a command, how many people in the world would actually pay attention to you? Not many for most of us. But listen to what Jesus' words do in the middle of verse 3. It says he is sustaining all things by his powerful word. So the universe keeps functioning because Jesus keeps speaking. Because he wants it to is why the planets keep spinning and animals keep breathing and plants keep growing and the sun keeps shining. and It's all because of Jesus' say-so. His voice, that's the reason gravity still works. It's because of him that our molecules are holding together enough for us to sit here rather than just whizzing off into a gas. Jesus is sustaining us and holding us together by his powerful words. Again, sometimes that word sustain could be translated uphold. He upholds everything by his words. Um, Again, maybe this is a challenge for later. I wonder how many chairs from this room you think that you could carry. Now, these are quite bulky chairs, so I wonder, you know, you might be able to do one. There might be some of us who could do one in each hand and maybe one balance between the two. Do you think you could do all of them? Or all the chairs in all the houses of Wem? Can we hold those up? How about we try and do that by speaking? We just talk at the chairs and we hold them up. Well, we're told here that Jesus upholds, supports sustains all things by his powerful words. That's a lot of chairs. That's a lot of everything. All by Jesus' powerful word. Jesus Christ is the creator, the owner, the sustainer, and he is the one who speaks to us. What an amazing thing that is, that Jesus is the final word. And so it, it begs that question, are we listening Are we listening to what he has to say to us? 
keep hearing that song about the sleigh bells ring, are you listening? As if there's something we need to particularly listen to about the sleigh bells. But it does keep, I keep hearing, are you listening? Are you listening? Over and over. It reminds us of this. It reminds me of this anyway. So much more important than that. That Jesus is the final word. Are you listening? There's all kinds of things that claim to bring us the truth. But when God himself comes and speaks, we need to listen, don't we? This is so central to our faith that the Lord can be known through Jesus. To use the title of Francis Schaeffer's famous book, He is there and he is not silent. The only way to know somebody is if they speak to us, isn't it? Well, that is Jesus. That is what God is doing to us, for us, through Jesus. So are we listening? Are we basing what we know about God on how he's revealed himself in Jesus? Are we focusing our attention on that or on something else? This letter of Hebrews was written to Jewish people who had come to trust in Jesus as their Messiah. And yet, following Jesus had become really, really difficult. And so they were now tempted to go back to their old ways. Surely now we can return to just being Jewish again, they thought. We don't need to stick with Jesus. We can just go back to how we had it before. After all, God spoke to our ancestors and all that. And this letter is written to urge them, no, no, you can't. Jesus is the final word. He's the one all the prophets were talking about. He's the one that the temple and the sacrifices were pointing to. He superseded all that. So now other than pointing at him, all of that stuff is now out of date. You can't go back to it. You can't go on trying to relate to God as if he hasn't spoken through Jesus. Because he has definitively. And that is why every time we gather together, we bang on about Jesus. Even when we're reading the Old Testament, we bang on about Jesus every time. Because none of it makes any sense without him. He's the last message, the final piece of the puzzle that reveals everything. Not just another one of the prophets. He is it. As Christians, I think we're often tempted to be underwhelmed by Jesus to want something a bit more, as if the final word, well, that's not quite as exciting as many times in various ways. We've heard about Jesus before. When are we going to change the subject and talk about somebody else? Last week, I got a letter addressed to the pastor, posted by airmail all the way from New York City. It was rather exciting, and I opened it out in the lobby, and uh, I think Ben Jones was saying, oh, maybe you're being invited to something exciting. You've got this letter from New York. No, it wasn't. When I opened it up, it was offering me a new hardback book called something like God's Words to the Entire Universe. So apparently there's been some new revelation. We're supposed to read it alongside the Bible, same level as the New Testament, because the Savior has returned somewhere in China, apparently. So what did I do? With this personal invitation. I tore it into bits and put it in the recycling where it belongs. Because Jesus is the final word. And it's not just by joining a cult that we might stop listening. 
There's all kinds of other ways we might be tempted to focus elsewhere. Wouldn't it be much more exciting if we had some other thing? No. The tone of so much popular Christianity is that we don't have enough. That there's more to be found out there than you can find in here. That God wants us to move beyond these things. That Jesus' clear teaching on stuff, well, that was just a product of his time. Where we are now, we know a lot better. I was sadly hearing one of my friends from a long time ago this week arguing exactly that way, exactly that way to say, well, Jesus is wonderful, but he was a product of his time. Just think about how much more we can know now. And you just think the audacity of that. That God has spoken to us. And we go, well, that's great, but I've had a few ideas too. We think sometimes that the publicly available truth about Jesus is not as good or as real as something just for me or something just for us. But God could have communicated in all sorts of ways if private and secret was best. But instead, at Christmas, he has made a public announcement to everyone who will listen. And in these last days, he has spoken to us, to all of us, by his Son. So let's dig in deeper to that. Let's find out more about who Jesus is. Let's be struck afresh with it, with truth we'd never seen before and depths we'd never appreciated before. But we do that by paying closer attention, by listening more intently to what has been said once and for all through Jesus. The final word. Are we listening? But Jesus isn't only the way we can know about God. He's the way we can know God. He's the way we can actually come into a relationship with God. That for everybody who trusts in him, that message he brings is not a message of condemnation. Because it could have been, couldn't it? The Lord has spoken in lots of ways, but now he's spoken to his son. And what he said is, you're all going to hell. That isn't the message. That isn't the message. He's come with a message of salvation. He is the final word and he has finished the job. Jesus has finished the job of saving us. Let's read that last part of verse 3. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So we picture the Son of God in heaven. Then he comes down to us. He reveals God's glory. He deals with our sin. And then he ascends back where he came from to sit on the throne. Job done. He has finished the job. Each one of us naturally is stained with sin. It gets into everything. It makes us morally impure. It makes us unable to approach God. It makes us deserving of nothing but rejection from Him. And if we tried very hard from now on to do a better job, it's not just we wouldn't be able to keep it up. But how would that deal with everything we've already done? Thinking about sin as a stain. Imagine you've got this stain on the carpet. Well, how am I going to deal with that? Well, I will try very hard not to spill anything else. Well, that's good, but it doesn't fix the stain, does it? 
We need our past sins to be wiped out. We need our present sinfulness to be cleansed. We need to know our future sins are covered. And that cleansing, that purification, it's not something we can do ourselves. Somebody dripping head to toe with sewer sludge is not going to help you tidy the lounge. They're going to make it worse. And that is us. We are impure. And we need somebody else to purify us. And amazingly, rather than rejecting us, God the Son comes and does that. He comes and he, he takes on flesh and blood like us. So he can be our cleaner. So that he can wash us of every sin and every stain. By his death on the cross, all our rottenness, all our filth is completely removed. We're made pure. He's done everything that we couldn't do to make us right with him. And then he rose from the dead, went back into heaven. And what is he doing now? He's doing the same thing you're doing. He's sitting down. He sat down. And he isn't just sort of sat down like I planned to later, sort of plonked on the sofa in front of the telly. He's on the throne of the whole world. And he's sitting down because he has finished the job. He has finished. After he'd done it all, after he had set up purification for sins, after he'd done that, he sat down. I remember when our kids were babies, bedtime was... It was something. You've got to get upstairs. You've got to do the bath without trying to drown them, despite they're trying to drown themselves. You've got to get them dry. You've got to get them in a new nappy and then probably another one. You've got to get them into their tiny little gym jams, which has been described as a bit like trying to wrestle a live octopus into a string bag without any tentacles poking out. That is what it's like sometimes, getting a child dressed. You've got to brush their teeth. You've got to give them their milk. You've got to read them a story. You've got to pray with them. You've got to put them in bed. You've got to say goodnight. You've got to put them back in bed. You've got to go downstairs. You've got to put them back in bed. And then the purifying begins. As the toys need to be put away and the books need to go back on the shelf and the food needs to come out from between the books and into the bin probably. The bathroom needs to be sorted out after the tsunami of bath time. The kitchen looks like we've had a food fight, so we need to sort that out. And then there's everything for tomorrow that needs to be done, all of which is punctuated with putting children back in bed again and again. And then finally, you can sit down. You can put your feet up. Because the work is done for the day. Some people are remembering those days. Some people might be in the middle of them now. That is the picture here, that Jesus has cleaned up all of our mess. He has made purification for sins, and now it is done. And so he has sat down. Jesus' last words on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. I have done it. He's finished the job. So again, are we listening? It might not seem like the right question for that thing, but, but I think it is because that's how it gets applied a few verses later. Just have a look down to chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. 
when it's been talking about some of the implication of what Jesus has done for us. And then it says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? There's a lot going on there and a lot in those in-between verses. But a kind of long story short, he's talking about the Old Testament and how the law was given via angels. That's the kind of many times and various ways in our passage. And he's saying if those messages from God seriously needed to be listened to, how much more should we be listening to Jesus when he speaks? How much more should we pay the most careful attention to the great salvation that he offers us. Again, remember the context of Hebrews. People were tempted to go back to Judaism without Jesus, to drift away from faith in Christ. And he's saying, don't do that. There is no hope to escape sin and judgment other than the great salvation Jesus has finished. So don't drift off. Give it your full attention. We are so tempted to drift away from that finished work of Jesus, whether that's downplaying our own sinfulness and our actual need for it, overplaying our own efforts as, a thing, as if the things we do have somehow earned salvation, which is a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Earn salvation. You've, you've been saved. It wasn't you, was it? No, Jesus has finished the job. There is nothing more to do. And any attempt to add to it takes away from it. If somebody has finished something, a job or a thing that you've asked them to do, and they come and show you, how do they like it when you act as if it's not done? So you go, see, I've done this. And the first thing they do is go, yeah, almost. No more. I've done the treat. Yeah, you've nearly done the treat. Let me do some stuff. When someone presents you a thing that they go, it's done, and you go, let me do some more stuff. That doesn't honour them, does it? It doesn't say to them, yes, that is great what you have done. And yet, when Jesus presents us with a job done, we go, well, it's nearly done. Let me do some stuff first. That's so wrong, isn't it? We don't need to do anything more to it. He has finished it. So we just receive it. We rest in it. In all likelihood, uh, you, like me, have lots still left to do before Christmas. You know, things you've still got to buy or wrap, plans to make, food to sort. Who's going to feed the cat? I don't know if we've sorted that out yet, Lib. Uh, you know, those sort of things. But imagine if somebody comes along and just did it all. They just did it all. All the presents are bought, all the presents are wrapped, and they're perfect presents for everybody, better than something I could have come up with. And they've paid for it all as well. Didn't cost you a thing. And the food is just done. There's plenty in the cupboard, plenty in the fridge. And every mealtime, it's going to be done. It's going to be prepared on time. It's going to be delicious. You won't have to lift a finger. And the washing up is going to be done as well. Would you not say, yes, please. (laughs) Thank you very much. How much greater is this, that it is just finished and done? 
How much more did we need it? If you never have before, realize that everything you need to do has been done. We just receive it by faith. So we've got no idea, have we, what the king is going to say next, uh, next Sunday. Probably something about his mum, I would imagine. Beyond that, who knows what he's going to say. But we do know the message from God. Jesus is the final word. And that word speaks about a, a mission complete, a work finished. And that is why we're celebrating, isn't it? That is why we're celebrating. As we remember the creator and sustainer and owner and ruler of everything coming to us to speak to us and to save us. That is an amazing thing. Are we listening to that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that you are knowable, that you have not stayed far off, but instead, instead you have sent your Son. You have sent him into the world to speak clearly to us. Lord, please help us to listen. Please help us to focus our hearts and minds on Jesus and who he is and the message that he brings of the work that has been finished for us. We want to trust in that and rest in that this evening. Turning away from all the other things we might try to do, we want to rest in that finished work for us. We praise you for Jesus, the radiance of your glory. Amen.